When it comes to having faith in the decisions made in a courtroom, confidence can mean being able to see and participate in the proceedings firsthand. That's especially true when the decisions being made are about the future of a child involved in family court. With that in mind, and since the fall of 2022, Allen Superior Court has been lending a new voice to the most vulnerable participants in the process, kids. I'm John McGall, and on this episode of In Session, we're talking about children in court, giving young people a front row seat in the courtroom. Allen Superior Court's Family Division is trying something new these days. It's an initiative meant to open the doors to the courtroom to the people that their hearings are so often about, kids. Now it's possible for kids 14 and older to be in the courtroom to take part in important family court conversations that can have lasting impacts on themselves and their families. On this episode of In Session are a few of the people who came up with and turned into reality the idea that young people should have their voices heard in the courtroom. From the Allen Superior Court Family Relations Division, Judge Lori Morgan, Melissa Hayden, Allen County Director for the Department of Child Services, and Matt Skeens, Chief Counsel with the Indiana Department of Child Services, Elisa Rood, a public defender in the Family Division, and Attorney Steve Griebel, who serves as a guardian ad litem in family court cases. Everybody, welcome to In Session. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Glad to be here. We've got quite a panel on the show today. Let's start out by taking a second, just go around the table and introduce yourselves. Talk a little bit about your role in family courts. Judge Morgan, let's start with you. All right. I am Judge Lori Morgan, and I'm the judge of the Allen Superior Court Family Relations Division, the Chins Division. I have been a judicial officer for more than 20 years. I was appointed by Governor Holcomb to serve as a judge in the Allen Superior Court Family Relations Division in May of 2021. Melissa? Hi, I'm Melissa Hayden. I'm the local office director at Allen County DCS. I've been with DCS for 20 years, and I've had the privilege to work with Allen County the last two and a half years, supporting our staff, continuing to improve our practices. So we're lucky to be part of this great team. Matt, how about you? I'm the chief counsel for the Indiana Department of Child Services in the Northeast part of Indiana, which includes Allen County. I've been with DCS since 2009. Prior to working with DCS, I was in private practice where I did family law, including court appointments as a guardian ad litem. And prior to that, I was a deputy prosecutor here in Allen County. And I'm really excited to be here today and talk about kids in court. Elisa Rood. Hi there. Yes, my name is Elisa Rood, and I'm a public defender that's practicing uh, with the Child in Need of Services Division. I represent parents and other caregivers, legal caregivers of children who are involved with Child in Need of Services, providing assistance inside and outside of the courtroom. And last but not least, Steve Griebel. Hi, I'm Steve Griebel. I'm an attorney. I've been licensed in Indiana since 1995. For a number of years, I actually served in the Department of Child Services, then the Allen County Office of Family and Children, and then I was privately contracted to do work for the state up until about 2006. Since then, I've been a guardian ad litem in a number of cases for this court. I've also been a guardian ad litem in other counties and in other types of proceedings, and like Mr. Skeens, also have been doing private work. So I try to contribute to this group by bringing not only some experience but a, a diversity of background so that we can potentially all help these young people as they move forward. So for Judge Morgan, first question, let's talk about the headlines here. So often the proceedings that go on in family court have to do with children, but in the past they've had limited access to the courtroom. You set out to change that. A few months ago you launched a process through which young people can now participate in matters pertaining to them and have their voices heard. Tell me a little bit about what you implemented back in the 
fall of 2022? Well, I want to start out by saying that um, we had a group of stakeholders that was comprised of the Department of Child Services directors, legal counsel, uh, supervisors, case managers, public defenders, guardians ad litem, CASA, and the court. I'd gone to a conference, and while we were at the conference, they were talking about children in court and whether that was or was not a good idea. And it just was on my heart that I wanted to make a difference in Allen County with the children um, and making sure that they were in court and that their voices were heard. So I started convening this panel of stakeholders, and I let them know about what my idea was and asked them how we could work together to make this happen. So we had to talk about whether we should have a policy, what the policy requirements were, what ages we should start with. And after putting our heads together, we came up with our children in court policy that became effective on October 3rd, 2022. And how it works is the Department of Child Services case managers will meet with children 60 days before their hearing, and they'll go over what we call the court appearance questionnaire. It asks the children whether they want to appear in court, whether they want to be in person, whether they want to appear by phone, whether they want to appear by Zoom, whether they're comfortable talking in court, and questions like that so we can get their comfort level Mm -hmm. about appearing in court. If they, they then file that with the court and that lets everyone know what the child's preference is. If the child does not want to appear in court, the case manager will then let the child know that they have an option of still having their voice heard by way of a youth report to the court, which asks several key questions of a child. What are your needs? How are things going for you? Is there anything we can do to make you feel better? Or they could also write a letter to the judicial officer hearing the case and let the judicial officer know how things are going for them. They do also have to tell the the young person that anything that is written that goes to the court would have to be shared with all parties to the proceedings so that it's fair Mm -hmm. and everybody knows what pieces of information the court is using to make its decision. If a child does want to appear in court, then the Department of Child Services would convene a meeting and with the key players and they talk about whether it's in the child's best interest to appear in court. They would consult with the child's parents, the guardian ad litem, CASA, with the public defenders, and kind of make that recommendation and make that judgment call. They might also talk with therapists if the child is in therapy to make sure that it's not harmful to the child to appear in court. They might talk with people at the child's school to determine whether it would or would not be in their best interest to attend the court hearing. And then after doing all those things, a decision is made about whether the child should appear in court. If the child does appear in court, collectively we make a decision about whether the child should be present for the entire hearing or whether the child should be present for just a portion of the hearing, like the first portion. We talk with them and find out how they're doing, what their needs and wants are, and then excuse them from the hearing. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, our policy. I did omit uh, inadvertently that the child's guardian ad litem and CASA also Mm -hmm. talks to the young person about their interest in appearing in court, and they're able to come up with a recommendation from that conversation. Yeah, I think Judge Morgan touched on this just a little bit, so maybe I'll throw this open to the whole panel, but what were you all seeing that made you want to do this? What prompted you to want to improve the access kids had to the courtroom? Matt. 
So first of all, I want to give a lot of credit here to Judge Morgan for leading our community stakeholders on this issue. I think we can all agree, family court, we deal with a lot of weighty issues, and we want families to be able to have an open conversation about ways that they can improve and we can all improve as a community for the most vulnerable members of our society, which is our kids. So the idea of bringing kids into court to give them a voice, the start of that in Allen County has been Judge Morgan leading on this issue. This has been a facet of DCS policy for a long time, and in some communities around the state, there's not a bright line policy on what that's going to look like. And so one of the things that I feel real strongly about what we've done here in Allen County is to create a trauma-informed, evidence-based approach to where we're taking into account the impact that appearing in court is going to have on a child to give the child multiple options for how to make their voice heard. If it's not appearing for a hearing, it can be a letter to the court. If it's not for the entire hearing, it can be for a portion of the hearing. If the child's not comfortable in, in the courtroom, the child can meet with the judge. And so developing this policy that everybody can read and understand and implement has been really beneficial to our system. I want to say also, I started noticing in court that I would hear reports about children and how their behavior might get a little worse before a court hearing because they knew the court hearing was coming up, yet they knew they weren't going to be able to be there and kind of speak to the court about what they're thinking, what they're feeling. And sometimes you would hear reports about how after the hearing, a child who didn't attend the hearing, their behavior got worse because here we've made decisions that involve and impact them, but didn't give them the opportunity to be present. As uh, Mr. Skeens mentioned, our court is working with the National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges as an implementation site where our goal is to enhance the outcomes of children and families who appear in our court. The goal is to try to achieve permanency in a more timely manner and to reduce the trauma inflicted upon the children and their families who appear in our court. It's traumatic for a child to know that I'm talking about them and making decisions about them that impact them and they're not there to have a say. The National Council says in a report that they gave to me this about children in court. There's been a growing acceptance and understanding of the importance of involving children and youth in child welfare decision making. Meaningful participation in child welfare proceedings empowers children and recognizes their strengths, interests, and abilities through the provision of real opportunities to become involved in decisions that affect them. Foster care alumni repeatedly report that they want to be involved in the decisions affecting their lives, explaining nothing about us without us. And then it goes on to say that it's the National Council's position that actually every child should be permitted to be in court and have their voice heard. You know, John, one of the things that we've talked about as stakeholders as we've gone through this process through Judge Morgan's leadership, we've implemented this new policy, is that children are real, full participants in the legal system in almost every other setting. So if it's juvenile delinquency, if it's child support, if it's a divorce case or a custody case. And in Chins, the decisions that are being made by the court and by the stakeholders have such dramatic impact on them. And the idea that they wouldn't be able to have a voice in that, we've really evolved over time. And I think Judge mentioning what the National Council has to say, and then all of the academic thought in psychology and child development supports what we're doing here. And so again, leadership is what it took on this issue. Steve, a couple of uh, my my thoughts on this. One, 
a benefit of empowering uh, young people is kind of consistent with what happens, for example, in schools. If they went to school at an early age elementary, they don't really have a lot of choice in what they're going to take. They're going to go to certain classes and certain and PTAs will be in charge. But as you get into middle school and high school, you're going to start making your own electives. You're going to start making your own interests. So I think it recognizes as they get older, they need to have some input. And if you send a young person into a car and just say, here, you're 18, now start driving. I mean, you got to practice. you got to start developing some of these skills. Similarly, I think if they're going to become adults with issues, it helps them develop to speak in these settings. The second thing I wanted to say, though, is part of the reason I think that it wasn't quite the norm in Chin's cases to have young people speaking as it was in maybe some family law cases and some other cases, is these are protective proceedings. And a lot of the issues here are abuse, neglect, some serious problems. And so there's been a dilemma. Are we traumatizing them more by bringing them here, letting them hear the parents argue, letting them hear the state and everybody tell the court their parents are doing wrong, things like that. And as has been said before, and them not having a voice. So I think the momentum right now is it's actually traumatic not to let them speak either. So they're going this direction, but we're trying to do it in an intelligent way. We're trying to say, okay, we'll do it with these parameters, but because we, we don't want to traumatize them the other way either. So I think that's part of the challenge moving forward. So maybe for Lisa Rood, talk about the types of hearings that this applies to. What kind of proceedings does this policy help kids access? Sure. This policy applies to um, hearings that we refer to as review. We have a permanency hearing and a detention hearing. These are, I would not call them informal hearings, but they are regularly held. They're structured. Federal law mandates that at least with the reviews and permanencies that they be held within a certain amount of time to address any issues that concern the family and the children. And permanency as a a name or a a term is a specific hearing that addresses what our plans are for the future to provide the child and the family with permanency, with a roadmap to where they're hoping to end up to be. Sometimes it's what could be seen as a good or a positive outcome, which would be reunification with the parents or the caregivers. Other times permanency due to the facts of the case and perhaps the lack of of participation or success, uh, and maybe success is a wrong term, but lack of abilities on the parents that are being determined by professionals. We may be looking at changing custody of the child, guardianship, or even termination of parental rights. Detention hearings pop up when we have an issue, perhaps concerning school or other medical issues, but all of these hearings are, like I said, scheduled. And it's it's a good thing that we are allowing children to become involved uh, because then they have like an idea of what's going to happen. They become more familiar with what's happening in their lives and they're able to be vocal about it. Just kind of wanted to touch on with one of the last questions that you had. Sure. As a public defender, what I've realized over the last couple of years is that child in need of services is a is a unique and and not popularly known area of the law. Often, I'm helping parents discern the difference between a child in need of services case and perhaps a criminal case, and they do brush up against each other and can be intertwined. So there's a level of hesitancy often to speak with the public defender, speak with individuals who are working at the department, sometimes just out of fear of, will this information be used against me? So all in all, this initiative, I believe, is helping educate not only the young people, but also the parents.
parents with regard to these issues. One other thing I might say, and maybe you could <laughs> sneak this in before I forget. Go right ahead. Is that when children are empowered and speak powerfully or not so in the courtroom in front of their parents, it often assists the parents in making some tough decisions. Interesting. And we're able to come to a resolution. I've seen that. And that's really kind of helped me be supportive of this initiative. How many times when a kid says something powerful in front of their parents, is that the first time they've ever heard it? Maybe really heard it. They might have heard it outside, weren't really listening. In this arena, I think it hits differently. I yeah. Maybe, maybe not all the time, but I do think that it does hit differently. So a personal confession, a lot of people, including myself, when I first heard about what you all have done here, might have assumed that young people were always part of the process, part of these hearings. What sort of access did kids have previously? Melissa. So previously, older youth did have access to come, but I don't know that there was that concerted effort to try to empower them and encourage them and talk through those barriers they might have had. So I think once that was identified, coming up with a policy, that hopefully puts more specific focus on the expectations of trying to get the youth to court. Maybe just as importantly is that question about what access did they have before, why is this change beneficial to the system? Participation by the kids involved must be a helpful component of the process. It really helps us all keep our focus on the child. Instead of this being case number 101 involving a nebulous you know, person that I don't really know anything about, I mean, I'm, I'm reading about them, but I just can't, you can't get your mind on them as easily if you're just reading about them on paper as you could if you're actually seeing them. I get a chance to see, and we all get a chance to see, whether they appear happy in court, whether they appear sad, depressed, scared, nervous, anxious. It just really puts more of a human face on a child in need of services case than it does when you're just simply looking at things on paper and making decisions. It helps you put the child and their best interest uppermost in your mind because you're seeing them. It also dispels any myths or misconceptions that the young person might have. You know, I've had them come in court and say, that's the judge? Because, you know, some of us don't look like what you would think a, a, a judicial officer looks like. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, just seeing the person who's making their decision makes all the difference in the world to them. It, they see us as being human, and they know that we put our pants or skirts on, you know, the same way that everyone else does. And, and it, it's easier for them to, to feel comfortable when we're seeing one another. So I was going to ask you, does it give them a lot more confidence in what becomes of their situation afterward when they can look you in the eye and see what happens? I believe that it does. Yeah. I believe that it does. How many kids have taken you up on the offer so far? I can't give you a number, but I can say that we absolutely have children who've taken us up on our offer, and they seem to enjoy being able to be in the courtroom and speaking their piece, so to speak, letting us know how they're doing. And we generally, as a judicial officer, I'll start off by kind of having a conversation with them about what I might have read about them in the report, that they're improving their grades in school or that they're playing a sport or engaged in a musical activity or whatever to kind of break the ice. And that little tactic of 
engaging them in conversation about their lives kind of helps them open up and feel more comfortable and makes them be more likely to engage in further conversations with us. And I think I mentioned this in the intro, but I keep using the word kids. This applies to young people 14 and up. Yes. Okay. So let's get into the process for a moment. This is voluntary. Kids only become a part of these hearings if they want to. How does the process work for the kids, their advocates, and everybody involved? Matt. So it really starts with a conversation that the young person has with their case manager. And then the case manager should be, ha- should be engaging with the youth about 60 days before a scheduled court hearing. And if the youth decides that they want to attend, then the case manager needs to fill out the proper paperwork, notify all the parties. Uh, that would include the public defenders, the guardian ad litem, child's therapist, to, ha- to begin a conversation about whether the youth attending a hearing is appropriate. If everybody agrees that it is and that it's in the best interest of the child, then they're brought to the court hearing. Then the judge or magistrate, as it were, would then address the youth and make sure that the setting and the environment is appropriate for the youth to have that voice. If a youth decides that they don't want to attend, then the case manager needs to fill out a report that's given to the court on why the youth doesn't want to attend, the youth is given an opportunity to submit a letter for the judge to read, or other options can be explored like a private meeting with the judge between the judge and the youth where it's it's just the judge and the youth having a conversation. Okay. And that occurs at at the agreement of all the parties. It's kind of like what we call an in-camera process where we can meet privately with them as long as people don't object, the parties don't object. Okay. How hard is it for a young person to request to be part of these proceedings? There are case managers and advocates. I mean, we may have touched on this earlier. Make sure kids are aware of the opportunity, don't they? They they don't have to figure this out themselves. Yes, so the family case manager will be meeting with the youth face-to-face at minimum every 30 days. So during those meetings, they should be discussing the court proceedings with the child to be able to assess the youth's understanding of the court process and willingness to attend. Real life isn't exactly like a courtroom drama. It can get very real in the family division courts. What do kids need to be prepared for if they want to be in the courtroom? Elisa. I think they need to be prepared to have words spoken about them, instances maybe that they've been involved with in the past. Sometimes credibility is brought up. Issues with their parents. If one parent or one caregiver has issues with the other parent, there may be some blame involved. So I think they do need to be prepared, if any of these issues are brought to a head, to know that their voice is going to be heard, that they can discuss anything that they hear that might bother them or you know make them feel upset set again with their CASA, their guardian ad litem, the Department of Child Services case manager, but that they do have people in the courtroom that are advocating for them and do want to hear from them. But you're right, just like the question says, real life isn't exactly like a courtroom, uh, but sometimes it is a bit of a battlefield, so I think they do need to be prepared for that. Steve. And similarly, I think just like us when we're doing a lot of our talks, need to come prepared with what they want. If they know what they want, it's not a bad idea to actually write it down because if for any reason they don't remember what they were going to ask for, they can look at their notes and say, oh yeah, that's right, I wanted to ask about fill in the blank. I've had requests such as braces. I've had requests such as visiting siblings. I've had requests, just a variety of different things that they want to make sure somebody asks. And one of the benefits of them coming to court is we all have our different 
agendas and purposes and sometimes something isn't asked and they're listening for it and if they're not hearing it then they say what about I want to see my brother mm-hmm. something like that so it's what they want and if you go to a restaurant just sit there you're not going to get your meal you've got to tell them what you want sometimes uh, and I agree with Mr. Griebel sometimes having them write a letter before they appear in court is helpful because even if they don't want to engage in question for question with me they feel comfortable just being able to read their letter to everyone mm-hmm. in court Th- that way you're, you're not being asked questions by me but you're still telling me your thoughts your feelings your needs your wishes etc generally speaking how hard is it for kids to do this there are some young people that whom I see who want to be in court mm-hmm. and they cannot wait for me to call on them, the judicial officer to call on them to hear their thoughts, their feelings, their desires, their needs, etc. And there are others who it might take a little bit of coaxing. They, they want to be there, but they're not quite sure whether they want to say anything, how they'll be perceived, how it's going to go. So you, that's why I said earlier, as I said yeah. earlier, I kind of engage them in conversation first to make them feel comfortable. So just as far as in preparation for the youth, out of this group also came the video with the children in court. And so that's a tool that the family case managers can use and hopefully bring up on their phone. And Judge Morgan did an amazing job and is very welcoming to hopefully help ease some of those fears and unknowns they might have had before. And I think, John, the the short answer to how easy is it for kids Mm -hmm. to do this, it's easy. And we're going to ask them if they want to. And that's really the shift that's been made. If the youth wants to come to court, we're going to make that available. And if they don't know, we're going to ask them. And we're going to make sure that they understand if they're 14 or older, they have a right to come in and tell the judge what they think. It doesn't mean that the judge is going to do what the youth asks all the time, but the judges care about what the youth in our community have to say about how these cases impact their lives. Steve. I'm going to add something, too. And again, I'm not a DCS policy guru, but I think that there is a DCS Bill of Rights that they have for young people, too. And I've noticed more and more some of the case managers are sharing that. So again, even though GLs and CASA used to be leaned on heavily to represent the best interests, and we were supposed to get input from the young people. In fact, on a side note, that's been being helped by a new program with the Guardian Litem CASA merger. Um, the purpose of that Bill of Rights is to help, as Mr. Skeens and the others have said, said, let them know we want them. They have a right to be heard. We want to hear from them directly. And then we'll put in as many safety measures as we can to make sure that they don't feel like it backfires on them. We've talked a lot about what kids might be asked to address in court, but there's a lot of elements to these cases. What kinds of things can kids expect to be asked to talk about? Well, one of the things that I haven't heard mentioned so far is a lot of times a young person will say where they want to go, where they want to live. And even though they don't get to necessarily dictate where they're going to end up, they do want the court or other people to know, yes, I want to live with my aunt, or yes, I want to live with my mom, or yes, I want to live with grandma. They'll tell us, and they'll tell us why. And and it's, again, those kinds of things that, that are helpful, if not necessarily to control their outcome. It will help us all discuss more informed uh, discussions about why that might be the best idea. You know, we mentioned earlier that this process starts out with kids 14 and older, which naturally makes you you know, start thinking about kids transitioning into adulthood. How does this program perhaps start kids down that road to, to transitioning into the next phase of their lives? 
So John, I think one of the most untold or undertold stories about what outcomes we can achieve for youth is the idea that if a youth wants to and everybody on their team believes it's appropriate, there are independent living uh, options that young people can achieve to help them grow into adulthood as productive, happy citizens in our community. And so, for instance, if a youth is 17 years old and we haven't been able to achieve other permanency options, going into independent living services and then eventually when they turn 18, a collaborative care program where the state can help pay for an apartment, uh, help them go to college, help them get a job help them learn how to balance a checkbook and manage money. All of those young adult skills that families normally provide that for our older youth, sometimes there's a gap there. We can help provide some of that and this this new opportunity that youth have to come into court allows them to better take advantage of those opportunities. To tell the judge, judge I'm 17, I'm ready to start learning how to be an adult. I want to learn how to get a job. I want to learn how to build a resume. These are all things that we can help with and if the youth really wants it they can now tell the judge that that's what they want the way i i look at this is uh, there's so many things that require buy-in by all of us whether it's in sports whether it's in jobs and the very definition of the state that helps these folks is department of child services it's not even child protection anymore so much as what can we do to serve the children the proceedings are civil we remind everybody at the beginning that we're not criminal we're trying to help families help the children and as they get older it makes sense that we're going to be giving them services that fit their age so the services that mr skeen's talked about he's outlined them but there's the supportive services it's the people that's what i've seen on the team it's how they connect to the young people it's how the volunteers or the foster parents or the providers it's how they get them to want to take advantage of the things the state they do so much with even bus passes even just this and that and the other there's so much they have there because the young people may be more interested in what young people are interested in but they're not thinking about what is best for them down the road so it's a combination of the nuts and bolts that the state has but it's also the people behind it you know what you guys do is so important and has so many downstream impacts for the people that you serve more people really ought to know about what you do so final question i think for judge morgan and melissa mentioned this earlier but last fall you put together a video that talks about kids in court how this process works and what young people can expect but it's obvious in that video that this means something to you and it's it's more than just a process change you close that video by saying and i quote here you're important to us your voice matters we look forward to seeing you in court why is this so special to you i have to tell you that i look at all of the young people who appear in their my court, our court, as if they're my children. And I want them to know that I care. I want to make sure that things are okay for them. And so their voice does matter. I, I consider everything they say. I may not decide the way they want me to decide, but I want them to know that I care. They're important. They are a human being, not just a faceless person on my caseload, but a real person. And I want to convey that to them. And I think we all want to convey that message to them, that they are people too and we want to hear from them. They're important. They matter. Because life, um, particularly with some of the children who are involved in our system, it can kind of beat them up, you know, and make them feel undervalued and underappreciated. And so actually getting to come to court and see the people who are making decisions that involve you and know that they care is 
hugely important. They know that we really want what's best for them. We're not just sitting around dictating for the sake of dictating, but we're really considering all factors and all information to make sure that we're implementing decisions, policies, practices, and procedures that are truly in their best interest. They're my babies. Our babies, I should say. <laughs> I love it. You know, you, you can't really pick up on it by listening to this, but it clearly means something to all of you. Your, your work is what keeps you going. Every day. And it's it's worth mentioning that that video we were just talking about is available on the Allen Superior Court YouTube channel. You can find it by going to youtube.com at sign Allen Superior Court or just by searching for Allen Superior Court on YouTube. Judge Lori Morgan, Melissa Hayden and Matt Skeens of the Department of Child Services, Elisa Rood, and Attorney Steve Griebel. Thank you so much for your time today and for the important work you all do behind the scenes every day on behalf of families and children in Allen County. I said it before, I'll say it again, more people really ought to know what you do. Thanks for being on In Session. Thank you for having Thank us. You. Thank you. Thank you. This has been In Session, an inside look at the Allen County, Indiana courts. You can find out more on this topic and others at allensuperiorcourt.us. Thanks for listening. The next episode's coming right up.